excuses that people make for why God couldn't use me. And last week we talked about a guy named David who was so unexpected that he would ever amount to anything that when Samuel came to the home of Jesse to look for the next king because God had sent him to the home of Jesse, they didn't even bother to invite David. Uh, They left him home taking care of the sheep. And um, after Samuel looked at all the brothers, he said, no, you got to have more kids than this because this isn't the one that God called. And God chose David and the rest is history. You know the story. We're going to deal with another excuse for why people think that God can't use them today. And we're going to talk about a man that's also very well known and he also changed the world. In fact, he wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. Anybody want to guess who I'm talking about? Paul, right. The Apostle Paul was very unlikely that God could ever use him. And there's some of you here this morning that are thinking that God can't use you for the same reason that Paul may have thought that God could never use him. And I'm going to be reading from Acts chapter 26, verses 4 through 18. So if you have your Bibles or your iPhones or your iPads, <laughs> no longer do you ask people to have their Bibles, you have your iPhone, you know, you got your Bibles on your phones now, I know how it is, That's, I, I do the same thing, I'm not criticizing, it's just times they are a-changing. <clears throat> Acts chapter 26, when you get to the end of the book of Acts, it's the Apostle Paul on trial, and he's on trial because the Jews have accused him of being blasphemous to the Jewish faith, that he's anti-Jewish, and that he's brought a Gentile into the temple, which would be blasphemous, which he really didn't, but they were, they were trumping him up on false charges. And they're sending him uh, to court, and uh, Paul is a Roman citizen, so he's actually able to appeal to Caesar. And this is like one step before he goes to Caesar. He's before King Agrippa. And so we pick it up in Acts chapter 26 and verse 4, where Paul is making the legal defense, if you will, for why these charges are not true. So beginning with verse 4, it says that the Jewish people all knew the way that I have lived ever since I was a child, from the beginning of my life in my own country and also in Jerusalem. They have known me for a long time if they are willing that I conform to the strictest sect of our religion, living as a Pharisee. And now it is because of my hope in what God has promised our ancestors that I'm on trial today. Okay, so if Paul's making a legal case here, what he's basically saying is, the first point I want to make to you guys is, I'm not anti-Jewish. In fact, if there ever was a Jew, I'm a Jew. In fact, I'm not just a Jew, you know, we think of the Muslims today, I was like a Shiite Jew. (laughs) I was intense, man. I was was the Jew of Jews. I I, I belonged to the strictest sect of Judaism, which was the Pharisees. In fact, some of those liberal Jews, they don't even believe in all of the books of the Old Testament. My group does. We believe in every one of them. And don't be so surprised that I believe in resurrection because the strictest of the Jews all believe that there is resurrection from the dead. So when we're talking about that, and not only that, but if we're Jews, we also believe that the hope of all Israel is coming, and that's who I'm declaring. So I'm not anti-Jew. I'm very Jewish. That's what he's saying. And then let's pick it up at verse 7. This is the promise our 12 tribes are hoping to see fulfilled as they earnestly serve God day and night. King Agrippa, 
King Agrippa, is also a Jew. It's because of this hope that these Jews are accusing me. Why should any of you consider incredible that God raises the dead? If you're a good Jew, you believe that. I too was convinced that I ought to do that all was possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth, and that is just what I did in Jerusalem on the authority of the chief priest. I put many of the Lord's people in prison, and when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. Now, here's what he's saying. He's saying, and now if you think to be a good Jew, it means that you're anti-Christian, I even qualify there. Because I was, I was intense about hunting down these new Christians. I put many of them in prison, and when it was time to cast the vote about whether they should die, I voted yes. That's pretty intense. Some people believe that Paul even may have been on the Sanhedrin because that's the people that could have voted him to death. I'm not sure about that, but, but whether he actually had a vote or not in his heart, he voted yes when those people were on trial and should they die. Many times I went from synagogue to another to have them punished. I tried to force them to blaspheme. I would try to get them to deny God. And then he said this, I was so obsessed with persecuting them that I even hunted them down in foreign cities. Now he's really setting them up. He's setting them, you need to listen to me, guys, Paul's saying. You're you're accusing me here of being anti-Jewish and all that. I'm I'm, I'm laying out my credentials for you here. The first point that I I have in the sermon, and and we don't have it on screen today, but it should be on notes in your your, uh, bulletin there, if you're filling in blanks this morning, is that Paul had a shameful past. Paul had a shameful past. You think your past is bad. Some of, some of you are thinking, you know, God could never use me. My past is too bad. Paul had a past that was so bad that he was actually killing Christians. In fact, when the first martyr... Stephen was stoned. The Bible says this about Paul, whose name was Saul at the time, that he held the coats of those that stoned him. When I was back in southern Illinois, there was a, there was a, a really kind of cool church that met on Thursday nights called the Cowboy Church. And the Cowboy Church literally met in a sail barn, and it was a bunch of cowboys that came together, a lot of guys that didn't feel like they fit into traditional churches. And, man, they would have three, 400 people at Cowboy Church, and I became really great friends with the pastor. And we'd have Cowboy Sunday every once in a while at all church, and all these cowboys would come in, and I'd pretend I was and wear my rhinestone cowboy hat, you know, <coughs> all that. But uh, anyway, I went to visit Cowboy Church one time, and And the gentleman that brought me said, you see that guy in the front row? His name is Bones. He said, Bones killed a guy. Bones killed a guy. Bones got out of prison just last year. Didn't feel like he fit into any church anywhere. And Bones had come to the cowboy church, and he'd been baptized, and he was bringing people by the droves to the the cowboy church, and his life had been completely turned around in fact in spite of the fact that he'd killed a guy if we're honest this morning many of us feel disqualified from making a major difference for God because we just feel like we've just gone too far we've messed up too bad if people really knew me if people really knew my life 
they would never listen to me because if you really knew the stuff that I'd done, you, you just wouldn't accept it. So therefore, I really can't make a difference. I can't do anything for God. You just don't understand, Pastor. I've done too many bad things. No, I know you've heard bad stories, but you don't know what I've done. I would think this morning that the Apostle Paul has got you beat. I imagine that if my worst sins were published on a big screen this morning, that many of you would be shocked this morning and your jaws would... Maybe you wouldn't show up to church again if you knew some of the things that I'd done in my life. But I'm here to tell you that in spite of what you've done, we've got a God who can use people that have had a shameful past. I like uh, something that I heard Stephen Furtick say recently. He said, we compare our worst behind-the-scenes moment to other people's highlight reels. We compare our worst behind-the-scenes moment to other people's highlight reels. We, We look at other people, and what you see when you see other people generally is their highlight reel, their top ten, you know, their best of. But if the truth were known about all of us, then none of us, I don't think, would feel very qualified to make a difference for God. Could God really use me? And I intentionally used the word shameful. He had a shameful past because I want to distinguish between shame and guilt. I think guilt can be a positive emotion because guilt is something, it's, a, it's an emotion that we feel that can draw us to repentance. We feel bad about something that we did and therefore we feel guilty and we can repent of it and make it right, that kind of thing. Shame is something more sinister than guilt. Shame means I don't just feel bad about what I've done, but I feel bad about who I am. Shame has to do with our identity. I am nobody. I I don't qualify. I don't belong. All of us have done things in the past that that, that were wrong that, that, that appropriately we should feel guilty about. But shame is a negative emotion and one that God can't really use because if we feel bad about who we are, you see, you're not who you, you are not defined by what you've done. You are defined by who God says you are. So, so, so Paul has this path that would have put a lot of people down, shame, shamed of what he's done. We worked hard with our kids when they were when they were little, when they would misbehave. We would correct them for what they had done wrong. But, but we always tried to portray to our kids, even when they're misbehaving, you guys are good kids, behaving badly. In other words, when you're misbehaving, you're not acting according to your character. You are good kids. And so this behavior that you're manifesting right now really doesn't fit with who you are. Because who you are. And so trying to communicate that to our children, that you guys are great kids. You're wonderful kids. You're not defined just by what you've done. Now I want to read verses 12 through 15. On one of these journeys... He's, he's continuing his case. Now he gets beyond, beyond the legal stuff to, to doing something that we call in, in a courtroom trial session a, a witness. He's going to be a witness. This is just what I've seen. Now I'm just going to tell you what I've seen. On one of these journeys, on one of these journeys to go out and hunt down Christians, I was going to Damascus with the authority and the commission of the chief priests. And about noon, King Agrippa, 
As I was on the road, I saw a light from heaven brighter than the sun blazing around me and my compassions, and my companions. We all fell to the ground, and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It's hard for you to kick against the goads. Then I asked, who are you, Lord? Wow, now that, that's an encounter, isn't it? That's the next thing that I want to share with you is that Paul had a life-altering encounter. A li- I want to say this. You know, Paul is very smart. If anyone could have been convinced about Jesus from logical arguments, I think it would have been Paul because Paul was smart. But one thing that I've learned about being a Christian is you can't smart your way to Christianity. Come on, I'm preaching better than you're responding this morning. You know what I'm saying? You can't, you can't smart your way to Christianity. Somewhere along the line, it's not about following A, B, and C, and D. Somewhere along the line, there's got to be an encounter with the living God. There's got to be something that defies logic, that, that as smart as Paul is, he said, here's what I'm telling you, King. You know, I, I was... I was, I, was, I was smart. I was trained by Gamaliel. I was trained by, by I went to the Harvard of our day. But, but here's something I can't explain, King. King Agrippa, you just have to know I was, I, I, was, I was on the road one day. I'm not nuts, King. You, you know me and you know my reputation. But I was on the road one day at about noon, there was a light that came and it was brighter than the sun and it blinded me and it knocked me off my horse. How many knows that sometimes we've got to get knocked off our high horse? He gets knocked on his whor- off his horse and he has this encounter with God. And, and Jesus says, why do you kick against the goads? In other, in other words, I think Jesus was saying, Saul, you have any idea who you're fighting here? Your arms are too short to box with God. You know what I'm saying? How much energy, how much energy, Saul, are you going to waste? When are you going to give up? Saul, you're expending a lot of energy fighting against something, and I've been right here all the time. Have you ever had a life-altering experience with God? My life was not always on a trajectory to be the pastor of Life Church Knoxville. I was the only one of my brothers and sisters that didn't go to Bible school in the, in the church that I grew up. I grew up not just Christian, I was a Shiite Christian. Those of you who grew up like I did know what I'm talking about, and I'm not even making fun of them. I'm just saying we were intense. We believed stuff in the Bible some of y'all never talked about now. We believed in the index before the Bible, you know, and the concordance after everything, man. We believed in the cover. And, and, uh, and, and so I grew up this way, and I was the only one in my family. My two brothers and even my sister went to Bible college. I didn't. I kind of determined I was going to do anything but pastor since my dad was a pastor. And, you know, I thought I would love the Lord and... and be involved in a church, but I just wanted to make a lot of money and not make waves. And so um, I went to Illinois State University. I grew up in such a in such a protected environment growing up in the pastor's home 
in, in the kind of environment that I did. I mean, we, seriously, we didn't have a television growing up. I mean, we were, we were intense, man. I mean, we, and so suddenly I'm thrown into Illinois State University and, uh, and, uh, you know, I'm living in the dormitory and my roommate was a weekend alcoholic and, uh, you know, the, 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 the kids on the floor, I didn't have any curfew and, and uh, suddenly life, and I had, a, I had a professor in college who called himself an evangelical atheist, and he was, he was using his world history uh, class to put down the Bible at every opportunity that he had. And I remember that year that, 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 that my life was just, I was beginning to question everything. There was times during that year I wondered, God, are you even real? I dabbled in things that year that I knew would be harmful to me, and frankly, I almost lost my faith. I had another friend that I'd went to high school with, and she was a Methodist girl, and, but she just was on fire for Jesus. And after her freshman year of college, she decided to go to Africa, to Kenya, for a semester and with a group called YWAM, Youth with a Mission. And she went uh, for a semester to Kenya with, with YWAM, and, and while she was in Kenya, and she, she, she did something weird uh, in fact, her mom talked to me before she went. Her and I were great friends in high school, and we used to sing together, and we actually would sing at different churches in town. And uh, her mom said, man, I wish you were going to Kenya just to kind of protect Kathy while she's there. And because uh, I am so formidable. <laughs> but, <laughs> I have no idea why she wanted me to protect Kathy. But anyway, so... She goes to Kenya while I'm going through this, God, are you even real stuff, you know. And she makes this weird statement to her parents. She said, now, now, now Mom and Dad, I'm just going to be gone for a semester, but, but just if anything weird happens, like, like if I should die when I'm over there, I'm thinking, high drama, Kathy, get real. If I should die when I'm in Africa, I want to be buried with the people. I mean, she just had that intensity about her, that strength of what she was doing and purpose. And here I am trying to figure out who I am and all that. She knew who she was. She knew what she was doing. She, she was ready to give her life, man. And so she went to Kenya, and she was working with a tribe uh, in, near Mombasa, Kenya. And she was doing great. I was getting letters. Uh, this was before email, kids, and Facebook. And we actually had to write letters and put stamps on them and you know, I was getting letters back about how everything was going in, in Kenya. And, and, then about, and, and then I got a letter that Kathy, it feels like she's completed her mission. She's coming back and she's going back to college. And we we're like, yeah, great. And then about uh, uh, a month before she was to come home, uh, I got a phone call from her mother saying, please pray for Kathy. She's contracted malaria. Now, I talked to some people and, and malaria is apparently kind of like the flu is here. It's not that... Not that big a deal. Everyone gets malaria at some point. I don't know. You guys ever had malaria? Never have. I'm, I'm sorry. You're making a liar out of me. But anyway, uh, so <clears throat> malaria, very common apparently. And uh, then I get a call the next day, and it says, would you really pray for Kathy? She's got the, the, the most severe strain of malaria, and it's attacked her kidneys. So, and then the ne- I was coming home for Christmas, the next day, and I got home, and my dad met me at the door, and my dad just had this look on his face when he answered the door. And he said, Phil, he said, I hate to tell you this, but your friend Kathy has died. Kathy died. 
here I was trying to figure out how I could just make money and just fly under the radar. Jesus, are you real? All this kind of stuff. Here's my friend that just gave her life. And then I was asked to sing at her funeral. And you, and you, you can say whatever you want to. You can chalk it up to grief and emotion or whatever. All I'm going to tell you is that her, at her memorial service, I had a life-altering encounter with God. Not just crying because I was sad that I lost her. But at the end, after I sang my song, and I sang my song without emotion, we went through the, we went through the memorial service, everything was fine. They said the last amen, and I had a life-altering encounter with God. And I turned to Putty, and I just got down on my knees, and the Lord met me there. And the trajectory of my life from that moment on has changed. Just a few years ago, I was able to go back to Kenya. None of her family's been able to go back. I went to the cemetery where she was buried with the paupers because people are normally buried back in their family plot. But she was buried in a pauper's cemetery. There was monkeys up on trees, and, and all there was was these little wooden crosses everywhere. And, there, and a lot of them were half-eaten from termites. And, and now this had been many years since she had died. And I went to the very place, and I'd seen a picture Uh, from 30 years ago of her little cross where she was buried. I'd seen a picture of it, but there was no no cross there. There there was nothing there to mark that she'd even lived. And, And once again, on that cemetery with the monkeys around me, I had another encounter with God, and right there, I melted right there in that cemetery. And I said, there's going to be a marker here, and it's not going to be wood that the termites can eat, and so I, it was a lot cheaper there. I think for $300 we were able to put up a, a concrete cemetery, a, a stone uh, to mark where she was, and we did that. But there's many ways in which my life from that point on has been a response to that. I've had a life-altering encounter with God. There was something that my, that my world history professor could not do do anything about because once you've met a man with an experience he'll never be a match for somebody with an argument and i know that all life encounter life altering experiences aren't that dramatic you know you don't have to be knocked off your horse you don't have to have an experience sometimes it's a simple whisper from god sometimes it's just a gentle nudge from god sometimes it's just it's just a little knowing from god that that I'm here and that I'm real. And then in verse 16, just the first part of verse 16, he says, now get up and stand on your feet. I want to say this. This is important. Paul had to get up. And, 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 and so, some of you here, that's the only word that you need to hear for the rest of the ser- sermon. That's the only word you need to hear for this whole sermon. Get up. Uh, and the reason I say that this morning is I see a lot of crawling Christians. There are a lot of crawling Christians who are sitting in churches. You're feeling like you're disqualified. You're feeling like I've messed up too bad. I'm never going to become everything that I could have been because you don't know what happened to me. But I'm here to tell you this morning that God says, get up. I hope this morning that 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 word resonates with somebody here today that God would say to you, no matter what you've done, you're probably not going to beat the Apostle Paul. 
who was hunting them down and killing them. Hunting them in other cities. So bad. I was talking to a friend of mine the other day. So bad his name changes from Saul to Paul. And my friend said, uh, my friend said, this is the first witness protection program ever. <laughs> you, you don't want Saul showing up at church. You better change your name, buddy. <laughs> Paul. He had to get up. I know God saved me, but I'm too bad to make a difference. Get up. I don't know why I'm stopping here at this point, but I just feel like, I, I just feel like somebody needs to hear that this morning. Get up. Get up. It, it's time. It's time to get off the ground. And it's time to get up. God has plans for your life. God likes to take people who've had a checkered past and do great things with them. You know why? Because then we know that it wasn't about you. It was always about God. You know, I think sometimes that's why we don't get up, because it's pride. We're, we're too proud to get up. No, I just got to stay here and flagellate for the rest of my life. You know, just punish myself. Get up. I have appeared to you. Get up, Paul. I have appeared to you and appointed you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen and will see of me. Paul, I want you to go and tell what happened just now everywhere you go. Let me just tell you, you just heard about my friend Kathy. People that have been with me for 30 years have heard it about 30 times. You're going to hear it 30 more times if I'm around. You know why? Because I'm a witness of what I've seen and what I've heard. I'm here to tell that story that God still gets a hold of people's lives. Paul was appointed and chosen. Jesus didn't come. Here, hey, listen this morning. Listen this morning. Jesus didn't come to make you feel bad. I got a radical suggestion for you this morning. The gospel really is good news. <laughs> you know that some people think that church is to make you feel bad? I come for my weekly spanking. I mean, I hear people say, come on, preacher, give it to us hard. Make me feel bad. You know, come on. The gospel's really good news. When you come to Life Church, we're a life-giving church. I'm here to tell you that Jesus has changed my life, and he's got life to offer you, and I've come to send you the life that Jesus has. He comes to infuse you with life, not to suck it from you. Amen. The gospel's good news. Well, we all know John 3.16, God so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten Son, whoever believes in him should not perish, but never last night. You know what John 3.17 is? God didn't send the world to condemn the world. But that the world through him might have life. Why? Might have life. You know why? You know why he didn't send him to condemn the world? Because he said this. He that doesn't believe is condemned already. In other words, I came to church already feeling bad. I didn't need you to reinforce it, preacher. I, I'm already under a load. I, I know I don't measure up. 
Anybody that's self-aware at all knows that you don't measure up. If you think you're all that, you're not very honest with yourself when you look in the mirror. Because if you're truthful, you all know that we've fallen short. You didn't need the Bible to tell you that. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You know that. But I got some good news for you this morning. He came to tell people with a shameful and a checkered past. I want to use you to change the world. Paul, you're going to write two-thirds of the New Testament, buddy. You have no idea what God has. God likes to choose underdogs. He likes to take a Shiite Jew. That's just a fun word to say. Lighten up. Turn to your neighbor and say, lighten up, all right? Some of you are so used to being so serious when you come to church. Some of us pastors, that's the closest we can get to cussing. I just say Shiite every once in a while, you know? (laughs) I'm sorry. (laughs) Oh, Lord. Just kidding. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles, and I'm sending you to them to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, so they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Paul's pain and his past became his platform. Henry Nouwen wrote a great book, The Wounded Healer. It is from our wounds. It is from our mistakes. It is from the pain. It is from the pain of the fact that Paul spent the early part of his life hunting down Christians. They gave him a platform. When when you put it up on the telephone pole that Saul is coming to preach. People came out in droves because people knew about Saul. And his pain and his past became his platform. His woundedness became his greatest place of healing. If you notice any graciousness in me as a pastor towards you, you lowly sinners. <laughs> If you notice any graciousness in me, it's because God has been so good to me. How could I not be gracious to you when I know how good he's been to me? I'm just like one beggar telling another beggar where I found bread. I'm just, I'm just here to tell you that somebody who shouldn't have been picked got picked. And God delights in using underdogs to change the world. Agrippa, the king, the king was so moved by this. The king was so moved by this. He said, do you think that in such a short time you can persuade me to be a Christian? Paul replied, short time or long, king. I pray to God that not only you, but all who are listening to me today may become what I am except for these chains. 
isn't that interesting? Paul's not even trying to get himself out of prison as much as he is trying to win the guy that's trying him. My prayer is that, is that all of you would be just like me. King James puts it this way, almost you persuaded me to become a Christian. I think those are sad words, don't you? Almost. You know, you had me on the edge of your seat, Pastor. And if the kickoff wasn't happening at noon, I might have responded. But I had things to do and places to go. And There is power in the name of Jesus. 